Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. Hello, this is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts. We have just uh, concluded our ERLC national conference uh, that took place uh, in Nashville on the issues of uh, cultural engagement, a full range of issues. And one of the things I I had on my mind uh, after it was over was a conversation that I had with Andy Stanley uh, on the platform. Some of you listening to this were here. And so you uh, you participated in that. Some of you read about it in news accounts or, or heard about it in various other places. But I think there were there were several things in that conversation that are really instructive of conversations that we need to be having long term. And you know, what, one of the things in that conversation that was the most striking to me is it it went in a very different direction than what I had uh, initially uh, planned, or I say initially, or what I had planned at all and what I had thought would happen uh, at all. What I wanted to do was to take half of that conversation and talk about various places where different sorts of tribes within evangelicalism might disagree. So the more reformed, more confessional theological tribe that, that I might typically be in, and the more seeker, attractional, for lack of a, a better word, uh, tribe that that Andy might be in. And what I really wanted to do was to sort of work through some of these places where we would have differences. And what I anticipated was that Andy would explain how those differences really weren't as great as what some would think. I, I really thought that what he would do is to come in and say, look, this is the way I approach getting the Bible to an unbeliever. And even if you wouldn't do it the way that I would do it, here's what I'm attempting to do. And he did do some of that. I mean, he he talked about how he sees the, the strategy that he sees behind, for instance, going a week or two without any reference to scripture or or prayer or what have you in in a worship service. He said for him that's the equivalent of what what someone else might do in in standing up and giving an introduction. You're you're prefacing what it is that you're about to say in a message before you get to uh, the Bible. And for one person, that might be three minutes or five minutes. And for him, it might be a week or two, sort of building the, the apparatus and the, and the platform for, for speaking about what the Word of God says. Now, of course, I disagree with that approach, but he was explaining what, what he's doing and why he sees that as the way that he, that he wants to move forward in reaching lost people. The reason I really wanted to have the conversation is not so much about those points of disagreement as I saw them as to get to a place where we, uh, and and by we I mean people who tend to be more in my uh, side of seeing things as it relates to the church, could learn. Because I think there are several things that Andy Stanley does really, really well. I mean, he, he was more combative than what 
<laughs> than what we had even been, you know, for we'd been together an hour uh, beforehand before we went out there. And when I said that the first time that I'd gone to his church that I was expecting a a really shallow sort of experience, well, that was because many of the churches that advertise themselves as being places where unbelievers can be comfortable, often that's what that's what happens, is that you have a, a, a kind of intentional or unintentional dumbing down of, of the Christian faith. And what that time, so many years ago, what I appreciated and what has stayed with me over the years is not only his communication ability, which is amazing, but also a baptism. Uh, at the time, this church that some people might put in a category of a movement that they may see as dumbing down Christianity did baptism better than any church I had seen at the time. It put baptism together with the the verbal confession of faith, which they did by video. There was a clear explanation of what baptism meant uh, in terms of the gospel. I think there's a lot that we can we can learn from that in terms of explaining what it is that we're doing and, and working through what it is that we're that we're doing. And part of that, a great deal of that, probably most of that, comes from, and this is what I expected to get to, Andy's genuine empathy. Uh, for unbelievers and and that of his and of the entire culture that he's built uh, around him, not only within his church but within the churches that they've planted and the churches that they uh, speak into, a genuine empathy for thinking through how would various sorts of unbelievers be confused about uh, what's what's taking place here, and I I think there's a lot that we can learn. Uh, from that. So, for instance, if you think about what the Apostle Paul is doing in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where Paul's talking to the church at Corinth and he's talking about issues of, of spiritual gifts. In that case, he's talking uh, particularly about uh, the gift of tongues. And, and notice what he says uh, in verse 14, where he's, he's talking about the, uh, the, the way that, that people are using uh, the gift of tongues for the building up of the body. He says in verse 16, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? I think that's, there's a very clear biblical grounding for making sure that what's happening as we're leading the people of God in worship is something that is understandable to those who are outsiders around us. Paul goes on in that same chapter, down in uh, verse 23, when he starts, uh, or verse 22, he says, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. And so what, what I wanted to do was to take this conversation in a direction where people who are very concerned about Bible teaching and about theology and about confessions of faith and so forth could learn from those who are reminding us, make sure that you are understandable to those who are on the outside. And, and that means 
making sure that you understand the sorts of things that they will find not understandable. I mean, if you don't know what will seem alien and confusing to unbelievers because you don't know unbelievers and you don't know uh, the the patterns of the way that they think, then you're not going to be able to explain those things. What tended to happen in the conversation, though, is that I found out as, as we started moving forward that we had we had bigger disagreements than what I had known that we had, mostly on issues of how biblical authority plays into the worshiping of the church and then the, the evangelism and the mission of the church. And so Andy said at the very end, he said, we need to get the spotlight off of the Bible and get the spotlight onto Jesus. And, and he had been explaining that all the way through, where he wants the unbeliever not to have a confrontation with the Bible as the Bible. He wants the, the unbeliever, the way I understand him, to have a confrontation to the witnesses uh, that, are, that are found recorded in Scripture to the, the resurrection of Jesus. And I think the reason for that, if I understand him, is because there are all sorts of, of points where people might have questions and they might have uh, even disputes with the Bible or, or with what they think that the Bible says. So he wants to get them to the main thing, which is the, the resurrection of Jesus, and then, and then work backward from there. Uh, I'm, as, as for those of you who are in the room uh, or those of you who've read news reports know, I'm not <laughs> with him on that. And, and the reason for that is because of the way that Jesus treats Scripture. He, he will speak of passages of Scripture saying, God said. Sometimes Jesus and others will speak of, of passages from the Old Testament Scriptures uh, saying that the prophet Isaiah said or David said. And then other points, God said, and speak of this as the Word of God. And so if when Jesus says, I have more things to say to you, uh, that I will not say now, and the Spirit of God will lead you into all truth. And then if the New Testament is treating these these letters and gospels that we have as the Word of God, which I think it does, as Scripture. So when, when uh, Peter, uh, for instance, talks about the, the way that some will twist the letters of Paul and the other Scriptures, then that means that we treat the New Testament, the way that Jesus treated the Old Testament, and that's as the Word of God. Now, what what Andy's point is, is to say uh, the, the Word of God is something that is, is every, every time that the New Testament is calling us toward hearing the, the written Word of God, it's speaking to those who are within the church. My argument with that would be to say that all of the epistles that we have in the New Testament are speaking to those who are within the church, all of them. They're, they're written to churches. That's, that's what they're there for. But 2 Corinthians 3, 16, the, the very famous and familiar passage for those uh, on, on the inside of, of Christianity, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Well, someone could say, well, yes, that's the man of God. That's the, that's the person who is, who is uh, already uh, part of the church, but equipped for every good work. And what is that good work? Well, I mean, he goes on, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, 
preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. He goes on talking about uh, the, the difficulties that will come within the church, and he says in verse 5, as per you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The, the Word of God, it seems to me, is claiming for itself a sufficiency in equipping someone to do the work of an evangelist. And so when Peter is saying in 1 Peter 1 that no prophecy of God comes by the prophet's own imagination or will, but as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, and that we have this prophetic word more sure. We, we have it in, uh, in the witness that has been given to us in the scriptures, in the apostolic testimony. Where do we have the apostolic testimony? We have it in, in the Bible. It seems to me that what the scripture is, is saying is that the Bible is, when faithfully taught, speaking to us with the ambassadorial function of the voice of Christ himself. So when we hear the word of God, as Peter says, the prophets of the Old Testament are not writing of their own knowledge. They're writing as the spirit of Christ is indicating within them. Whatever is scripture then is coming from the spirit of Christ. So in order, in my view, to get people into a confrontation with Jesus, we have to get them into a confrontation with the Bible. That's that's where the authority actually is, is, is in the, the claim. But we're all going to be appealing to some claim to authority. If we are standing up and, and talking about the resurrection, then we're going to be appealing to some authority as witnesses to the resurrection. That's either going to be to secular historians who can give us some insight about what is happening with, with the early witnesses, or it's going to be to ourselves as people who have been transformed by that resurrection, or ultimately, it's going to, to rest upon uh, what God has revealed and what God has said about the resurrection of Jesus. And I think the, the, the other difference that we were having there is what the gathering itself is. So I think in Andy's, if you're trying to understand where I think Andy is coming from, for him, it seems to me the primary purpose of the gathering uh, that comes together is to is to serve as a vehicle for evangelism. Now, I think that's an important part of it. And as, as I said earlier, I think the Scripture teaches that we're, we will have outsiders uh, gathered around us. But it also seems to me, though, as though what the Apostle Paul is doing with talking about outsiders there is that outsiders are understanding what is happening within the body. It's being explained. It's not, it's not happening in a tongue that they, that they don't understand. But it also is coming through the, the word of authority. They're, they're seeing the people worshiping Christ together. And he says that the prophecy that is coming in the New Testament, of course, in the New Testament churches, you don't have uh, the, the full uh, scripture that we now have, has not yet been breathed out. You have instead God speaking through prophets and apostles, apostles through these, these letters, sometimes through preaching, and then through the Spirit speaking through prophets within the churches. He says that 
this person who's an outsider and an unbeliever is convicted and called to account, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So an already existing reality where two or three are gathered in my name in covenant uh, relationship with Jesus, the unbeliever sees that and responds to that and responds to that not incidentally, but because the church is making this reality that we share together understandable and communicatable to the the outside world. So I think I think we had a, a difference about what the basic definition of the gathering is. And then also I think perhaps a difference about the nature of culture itself. I, I was really, really surprised when when Andy took the direction that he took with the Bible, because I had heard him say before, we shouldn't say the Bible says, we should say Matthew says or or Mark says, but I understood him at that time to be saying, let's recognize that the unbeliever doesn't yet accept the authority of the Bible. Let's give that unbeliever the, the Bible and then and then call that unbeliever to see the Bible for what it is as the authority of God. I never had heard him say before, let's take the spotlight off of the Bible, which I think is ultimately a really, really dangerous path to go. I'm not not saying that about Andy, about his particular situation, but I'm saying when that path has been taken in the history of the church, it's always taken with the idea we have to do this in order to reach unbelievers, uh, in order to reach them, we have to not focus on Scripture. We have to focus on the person of Jesus. And what ultimately happens is that the authority of the teacher himself or herself becomes the authority to which we appeal. Now, and that's what what I said in the in the conversation is if we don't have we don't have the authority of the Bible as the Word of God, there's going to be some authority there. And I think that. I think if we don't make clear and evident and put up front, here's the authority claim that we are making, then the authority of the pastor or the teacher as someone who can connect felt needs to unfelt needs and to the the need for repentance can only really connect in the remnants of a Bible Belt culture. I mean, otherwise, why would you listen to a pastor or a preacher? I don't really care what a chiropractor thinks about my spiritual condition. I don't, when I go to the pharmacist, I don't want to pull the pharmacist aside and say, can you talk to me about what the meaning of my life is? That's just not, I don't care. I I care about the expertise that these experts have in their area, but I don't care beyond that unless I know that this is some exceptionally gifted person who's exceptionally wise in those areas. Why would you care what a pastor thinks about your felt needs unless the pastor is saying to you, I have a claim to this authority. I'm I'm speaking to you words that are not my own, but as Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, these are you, you, you are to receive these not as the words of men, but as what they really are, the Word of God. This is the Word of God. 
This is what I'm speaking to you is the word of God. You may receive it or not receive it. I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to talk about what it is, but ultimately I'm calling you to repentance and faith on the basis of an authority that is outside of myself. That's where I think the the conversation came to an impasse in terms of the way that we see that appeal to authority. Now, again, I really didn't expect that because I really wanted to spend half the time talking about our disagreements and half the time talking about our agreements, but that's the direction that it took. Now, I think it's an important conversation. I think it's good. I think it's good to have that conversation because if we don't settle that, uh, and if you don't settle that in terms of your own calling and, and ministry, whatever it is that you do, if you're a lay leader in your congregation, if you're a pastor, if you're a mom uh, raising children, if you don't settle this question of what is the Bible and how do I speak the Bible to people who don't yet receive its authority? I think that's one of the most important things that we have to settle very, very early on uh, in our lives. And also, though, a lot of churches, and this is why I wanted us to have this conversation, sometimes churches that do have a high view of the Bible sometimes don't have a high view of making that intelligible to the people around us. We have to do both. As much as I disagreed with what Andy Stanley was saying on the platform about some of these issues, it's kind of like a colleague of mine was, was saying, it's obvious that Andy Stanley cares about uh, unbelieving people, cares about lost people. We need to be the people who care about the Bible, who care about the defense of the faith, and we should not back down from that one bit. And that includes saying, look, this is not a direction that we can go. But we also need to be the people who say we care about unbelievers, we care about lost people, and we can learn a great deal from those who, as in the case of Andy Stanley, obviously not only loves lost people, but loves them enough to want to empathize and to figure out how to speak to them in ways that they will understand. Both of those two things together. That's a hard tension sometimes to to maintain. But that's what we're called to be as people who are to be both Bible people and mission people. This is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts.